Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. In the second interview in this series about 2023, I spoke to Dr. Victoria Hatton from PwC about what's happening in the world of corporate business. Kia Vincent. Great to be on the show again. Thanks for having me. Um, so I guess 2023 is all about um, CRD or climate-related disclosures. Um, and I think if you haven't heard of the CRD or um, climate-related disclosures, you've had your head in a sandbox for the last 18 months. Um, but actually, it's all go this year. So um, for those of you who don't know the CRD, um, has spun out of the TCFD recommendations. So that's the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, which was established, um, I guess, by the financial markets back in 2017, who wanted to really understand what the risk was um, from climate change to our financial markets globally. Mm. And um, New Zealand passed into law, it was the first country to pass into law um, the requirement for large listed companies to report on their climate-related um, risks and um, 2023 the 1st of January 2023 um, is when that law kicked into place um, and what we're going to see this year is uh, those 200 top large listed companies will be getting ready to make their first disclosure and the first disclosures will happen at December 30th this year so that's for any reporting entities that have their reporting period from 1 January to 30th of December. On the 30th of December this year, they will have to disclose um, their financial related, um, uh, their climate related financial <laughs> risks. Such a mouthful. Um, yeah. So, it's, so for, for those entities, this year will be about understanding um, and preparing their first disclosure in four four areas: so our governance, strategy, risk management metrics and targets and what does that mean victoria in actual practice so they have to measure their emissions and then is there a requirement to reduce yes yeah, so this is all about um, putting a, a sort of a benchmark in place um mm-hmm. with the idea of um, managing and mitigating their exposure to climate within the financial space mm-hmm. so understanding where their main risks are. So if an organisation is investing in fossil fuel um, or um, oil and gas, it's about understanding the risks that that organisation are exposed to by that investment, Mm -hmm. making it public, and then in time and over time reducing that investment in those areas because they are highly exposed and um, their their risks are great. And it's about Mm -hmm. managing and mitigating and reducing those risks. So it's not just a case of reporting, it's then from the reporting, you know, you can't manage what you can't, what you don't measure, etc. So once things are measured, then that kind of implies some strategic decisions, as you say, in all, in all four areas, which um, that's good. that's sort of a, a journey towards behaviour change as well and, and procurement, it affects almost every part of a business. Is that restricted to these large companies? How far down down the line does it go in terms of the business sector? Yes, that's a really interesting question because um, initially with the 200 large listed companies that are covered by the law, um, you would imagine 
managers to have practices. But what will happen is that um, smaller organizations that are covered within their supply chain or that they are suppliers to or they do business Mm -hmm. with those 200 listed companies will also be captured by that disclosure rule. Um, Mm. And so take, take banks, for instance. Banks loan money, they give mortgages. Um, So anybody who has a loan or has a mortgage with a bank will also be covered under that disclosure regime. And so in time, um, banks will be knocking on other businesses' doors to say, can we understand what um, financial risks that you have when it comes to climate change? And they will be expected to report into the bank on an annual basis to help the banks then with their disclosure. Do you expect this to have impact immediately, like as in 2023? How soon will it start to change the way that corporates behave and spend and invest? Um, I think it will be um, a journey. Um, I don't think we'll expect to see massive change. I mean, for instance, this year will be the first reporting year, so December 30th. Um, the majority of those organisations will report in 2024 because they'll have an April to March reporting year or June, July reporting year. So we'll see more reports coming through in 2024. Um, but once those first reports come in and we've seen, we see a benchmark, um, organisations or entities will then go back and they'll keep refining their measurements, especially for when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions around scope one, two and three. Um they're not going to get those right in the first year, okay? So they're going to be refining them. Um, But because the reports go public, people will be able to see them and they'll be able to see how, Mm. you know, how big a shift they're making, how much behaviour change they're taking, how how much risk they're sort of managing and mitigating. So I think think that sort of reputation risk will be quite significant and will drive some behaviour change, Mm. Um, but with all that, I mean, these organizations, they're large entities. Ultimately, they have a big machinery around them, a lot of capital to sort of re, you know, sort of take out and reinvest into different spaces. So the machinery around this disclosure process is not going to happen. You know, it's not going to be fast. It's going to be sort of a slow journey. Mm. The other driver of change is the emissions trading scheme, the ETS, um, because that's putting a price on carbon. Uh, are there changes or uh, anything you need to tell that we need to know about the ETS this year? Yeah, so the ETS is um, has um, there was a reform of the ETS in twenty twenty two, so last year, where um, suggested limits to um, the price. Um, of the units was suggested um, and the number of units that will be available to sell on the ETS has also got a cap on it this year. The idea being that um, the ETS is linked to the emissions budgets. So if we're going to meet our emissions targets and the emissions budgets are set up so that we have um, we have the ability to um, create fewer emissions over time, then the NZUs or the New Zealand units that are available in the ETS will also reduce, um, which will make entities that are that operate within the ETS reduce their emissions accordingly. They'll get fewer units to sell on the ETS, to surrender on the ETS. So um, the idea is that with fewer units, they have to change their behaviour and reduce their emissions. 
But with the ETS, um, I guess the the biggest issue is the Climate Change Commission made recommendations that weren't taken into consideration by Cabinet, and Cabinet made, um, I guess that they their targets were lower than the Climate Change Commission wanted. So when it comes to the emissions budgets um, and those the NZUs or the ETS helping to meet those emissions budgets, it's less, less likely to help meet those targets. Mm-hmm. That gets set every year, doesn't it? So is there a, a time of year that that gets set? Towards the end of December. Towards oh, okay. The end of the year. Right, yeah. okay. So, so they have come in for 2023. That they've been locked in. Um, Does the ETS, in your experience, Victoria, you deal a lot with businesses. How how much of a driver for change is the ETS? Is it is it part of a decision making process, or because the the price is still so low that is the is there impact you know on investment decisions, on procurement decisions, and so on? Um, I guess the ETS is um, is a a great mechanism um, for. I guess helping New Zealand to reach its targets, but it's for me, it's like a, it's like the stock market. Um, so there's units that get um, bought and sold on the on, on the ETS on the, on what is the, the trading the trading market. Um, but it, I guess it creates a type of behaviour. And in New Zealand, there's a lot of a secondary market action, which is where um, huge amounts of speculation and um, and trading goes on with these NZUs. A lot of money gets made in that secondary market, um, but to have available units in that secondary market means that they're not being used to sort of meet our climate change targets effectively. Mm. So, so actually, it's not necessarily fit for purpose in the way that it's been created. Mm, that's so interesting. I mean, so much focus is on, at the moment is really on um, on this net <laughs> net. Uh, targets and not looking at growth, right? So uh, it almost feels like a false economy. Um, yeah, and I and I think we don't go quite so far to create um, a mechanism that will actually drive behaviour change for those industries that are on the that are sort of registered in the ETS. Um, they've had massive amounts of free allocation over the years, so they're used to emitting high levels of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and I don't, I don't think that government has gone quite so far as to push the buttons enough to make that mm. behaviour change um, really sort of, it, I guess, happen really fast. Mm. Um, they've still got um, almost a get out of jail free card. And let's not even talk about the dodgy credits that are available internationally, oh. as the Guardian just reported last week. Well, that's another whole podcast. Um, what else is on the corporate agenda, Victoria? Um, so there's a few there's a few other things that we um, we see across um, PwC. So the um, national adaptation plan that came in um, last year, the first national adaptation plan um, was published by government. And what we're seeing is that um, organisations, I guess, not necessarily the the biggest organisations, but sort of those middle range organisations, are really trying to understand. Um, the sort of how their businesses will be impacted by climate change from an adaptation perspective. So we spend a long time looking at mitigation, um, but now adaptation is starting to come into play 
And with that, um, organizations are looking at scenario planning and scenario analysis. Mm-hmm. So this is um, almost playing out a story as to how a business might operate under different climate change scenarios mm. and how they might go about adapting their business to ensure that whatever happens, their business will become resilient. So I mean, that's, that seems so relevant as we're um, sitting in the eye of the storm here um, <laughs> in this deluge. I, you know, I, I guess it's too long a bow to, to pull, but uh, we are a, an agricultural economy exposed to rain and drought, right? And so these plans are the adaptation plan is a government initiative. Are you seeing that same sort of scenario planning now happening in corporates? Yeah, we are. And it is helped by the CRD disclosure regime. So as part of the um, external reporting board um, processes, they are encouraging sectors to undertake these scenario analysis. And so the agriculture sector's scenario analysis for adaptation planning will be published um, this year. So PwC has been the secretariat for that work. Um, And the scenarios that have been written and the adaptation roadmap that will be published as part of that um, will sort of allow the pathway to be, um, I guess, to be made or the, the road to be created for the agriculture sector to um, to work towards building resilience to climate change. Mm. And what we'll see in that is not all regions are created equal. And with the climate change uh, that we are experiencing and the future climate change scenarios that we're likely to see, we won't be able to um, grow food in the places that we're currently growing food um, e- efficiently. So we will have to adapt what we're growing, where we're growing it. Um, and we'll have to adapt, I guess, um, in terms of, you know, if you think how wet we are that today in, in Auckland specifically, but also how dry we're becoming in Canterbury. We are going to have to adapt how we farm. So if we're going to continue doing dairy, meat, um, we're going to have to adapt animal welfare, for instance. The animals cannot cope with being in a two-degree world without shade. So Mm. what does that look like? So the scenario analysis and the adaptation roadmap will help with that. Um, And what we... What we hope is that once that plan comes out, the larger entities and the larger corporates will take some of that thinking and incorporate it within their business. Sounds like there's a lot going on. Um, what's your hope, uh, Victoria, for this year? Is there anything on your wish list that you would love to see happen in a realistic sense? I'm not talking about total uh, kind of wish list, but what would be a great outcome? Um, for me, I guess um, the greatest outcome is that entities, organisations, business, regardless of their size, start to understand um, the benefit and value of realising the risks that they face when it comes to climate change. Mm. And that that's about them opening their eyes at the board level, through senior leadership, and all the way through the workforce, actually, so that everybody's on the same page with understanding that climate change is here, it's happening, um, it's only going to get worse. But what does that mean for the business? How can we build resilience into the business? So my greatest hope is that we see more enlightenment <laughs> at, at the senior level, um, 
to planning for climate change risk and mm. adaptation um, and resilience. So, mm. so lovely talking to you, Victoria, and uh, thank you so much for your time. Oh, Any time, Vincent. This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand.